0: All right, get your Bibles out to First Kings 18. And I got to tell you, anybody missing my flowers this morning? Did anybody steal my flowers from last Sunday? I had some very ugly flowers out here on purpose. I think they got so ugly this week that our cleaning folks threw them away without knowing that those were precious to me and I was going to use them for the next three weeks. So I might have to go out and get some more ugly flowers, but I'll explain that in just a moment. They were probably embarrassed for me, uh, but the embarrassment was important. I was talking last week about modern life in America and about the great polarization, the great cultural divide that we have right now, and really what's at stake is the heart and soul of our nation. How many of you feel that? It's like there's a battle going on right now, and the real issue is who are we as a people? Who are we? What do we believe? What is our identity? Where are we going? And I used the phrase last week, cut flower civilization. It's not my own. It was from a famous theologian who said simply that America is becoming a cut flower civilization. What he meant by that is if you take a beautiful, you know, flowers growing out in your garden and you cut them off at the root, you bring them inside, you put them in a vase, they last for a while and they retain their beauty. But how many of you realize that it's just a temporary beauty? It's not a lasting beauty. And why is it not lasting? It's because they've been cut off from the source of their life, the source of their uh, sustenance, all right? America is a cut flower nation right now, and what we've said was simply we've been cut off from our Judeo-Christian values. We use the same language. Have you noticed that? We talk about rights. We talk about justice. We talk about equality. But the definitions of those words have changed on us. Right? They're not coming from a biblical understanding. They're not coming from a Christian worldview. They're coming from a progressive, growing, uh, secularized America. And so we keep saying the same words, but we mean incredibly different things about those words. We said that the thing, too, the subtleness about modern life in America is that most people don't come right at God and say, God is dead. Uh, we want nothing to do with God. God's a fairy tale, whatever. That's not, there's, there's a very small group of Americans that, that are in that camp. But here's the, here's the greater subtle seduction. It's not that God is dead, it's just that He's unnecessary. And let me just tell you, if you're feeling like you're trying to live your life and God is unnecessary, in other words, you got it covered, you got prosperity, you got health insurance, you got a 401k, you know, you're good. If your approach to life, even as a Christian, is, you know, I I got it, God, you know, I'll call on you if I need you, you have become prey to the modern secularized uh, spirit of this age. The spirit of the age simply tries to remove us from From our absolute dependence upon God for everything. And it's very subtle. Um, We're in a situation now in America where, uh, in fact, let's go to 1 Kings 18. I said we were in an Elijah moment. Uh, 1 Kings 18 we talked about last week. Elijah was standing in front of all of Israel and all the fake prophets of Baal Uh, and the fake prophets of Asherah. Uh, There's a a three-and-a-half-year drought. Things are very dire and desperate. And this is what it says in 1 Kings 18.21. Elijah stands in front of all of Israel, and he says, How much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? And he says it very quick. Black and white, A or B, the choices are right in front of us. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people, the Bible says, were completely silent. And I shared with you last week, I think America is experiencing an Elijah moment. What we've lost is our prophetic voice. How many of you know when God speaks, God's real clear? It's not that we don't understand him, it's that we sometimes don't like what he said. Anybody know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Mark Twain, you know, was a famous, you know, skeptic, an irreligious person. He says, it's not the things in the Bible that I don't understand that make me mad. It's the things that I do understand. Um, The Bible's not clear. I mean, not foggy. It's very clear. It's written in a way that we can understand. The problem is not that we don't understand. The problem is that we're silent because we're double-minded. And can I share with you, when you're double-minded, the Bible says you're unstable in all of your ways. And I don't know of a better word that describes the body of Christ in America today than unstable in all of our ways. You know, we're supposed to be sending out a clear message to the world, amen? A message of hope solutions, answers. We're supposed to be living lives that are clearly distinct from the way the world lives. Amen? We're not, we're not of the world. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be salt uh, in a world that's lost its flavor. We're supposed to be light in a world that's growing increasingly dark. And so the issue is we've got to get our get cured from our spiritual laryngitis. It's time for the church to regain her voice. It's time to speak the truth again, not in here. Let me just tell you, this is the easiest arena ever to say amen, hallelujah, you know, thump your Bibles. It's out there where we've got to regain our voice. How many know the Word of God works out there as much as it works in here? It's true out there as much as it's true in here. And so all these people, they got this amazing challenge, and what they should have said was, we're going to follow the Lord. Instead, what happened was they stood there silent. And uh, the reason we're silent and the reason we've lost our voice many times is because we've allowed compromise to come into our lives. In fact, this is a picture of the worldly church, four C's, all right? We're compromised. We're complacent we're cowardly and we're corrupt let me tell you how all those go together how many of you realize when you when you uh compromise with the world and you're not really living the gospel you got some stuff in your life that you know isn't right what happens to the next thing when it comes to complacency isn't that what the devil uses to rob us of our passion for jesus and what happens when you lose your passion for Jesus and you just start going through the motions? You get complacent, don't you? You're like, oh well, you know that's a shame, you know, too bad. Hey, you want to pursue this? Nah, you know I'm good. You, you just you just sit back and you're complacent because here's the deal: when there's compromise in your life, it's like a throwing a, it's like the devil throwing a wet blanket on your fire for God. You may know what I'm talking about here. So you don't want to compromise because it it takes the edge off your sword. You may know what I'm talking about. There's times when you're sharp. There's times when you hear God. There's times when you're when worship you feel like you're going to explode. You're so full of passion for God. And there's times when you're compromised and then you fall into complacency. And how about this? When you're compromised, you become a coward. And here's why you become a coward. Because the devil says, you know, you know, the devil's the great prosecuting attorney. What does the devil do when you know you should speak? He comes in and he starts presenting evidence to the contrary. Anybody ever have that happen? I'll pick on Jerry over here just because he's sitting right there and he's he's Jerry, so I'm gonna pick on. Say Jerry and Terry, they're teaching marriage class, right? Teaching marriage class. Guess what the devil's gonna try to do if you are teaching marriage class? What is he going to try to mess with? So here they are coming to church. They're all excited, starting a new series today. Love and respect. But on the way to church, cold as ice. Maybe one of them said something to the other that wasn't so kind and feelings got hurt and you feel this cold as ice stuff going on. And, and then I say, hey, Jerry, we're having marriage class today, right? And Jerry's like, yeah. And the devil's going, you hypocrite. You can't teach marriage class. Hey, Brent Johnson, you guys teach what class here? Parenting class. Oh, there's a class you don't want to teach ever, all right? <laughs> Because you're supposed to have all your kids perfectly in a row, like nice little ducks coming to church. Quack, 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 quack. Oh, no, it doesn't work that way. What does the devil do? He goes after the area that he's given you a voice in. And what does he do? He attacks you. Why does he attack you? To bring fear in your heart so you lose your courage. And here's the goal. Hear this. This is the goal of the devil, to silence the church. So you have to fight compromise. You have to fight cowardice. You have to fight the tendency to sit back and just chill. When God, I mean, you know, God is moving. God, you're growing, We should be growing. I mean, God is infinite. You're not, which means there's always more. Everybody say more, always more. So you should never be complacent in our lives. And yet, these are the things we struggle with. East Stanley Jones was a great missionary. He said this: If you don't make up your mind. Your unmade mind will unmake you. Isn't that the truth? If you don't make up your mind, your unmade mind will unmake you. There's a lot of people that have been unmade because simply they did not choose to follow the truth. And so God is waiting for a response from his church. If we're going to be fearless and faithful and fruitful, those are three F words that we need to be uh, marked by. Fearless, faithful, and fruitful. We're going to have to deal with three, what I'm calling three modern seductions that have come to the church, all right? This week, we're going to deal with seduction number one. Next week, seduction number two. And the third week, we're going to deal with seduction number three. But here's seduction number one. The church is tempted to trade authority for personal preference. Trade authority for personal preference. Right now, we're having a, a crisis in America of cultural authority. Many people are saying, well, who says? we're more politically divided than ever our judges are more divided than ever and I told you before this is not primarily political it's not primarily racial it is a worldview divide we are miles apart on our understanding of God on our understanding of His word on our understanding of morality and a host of other issues so we have a crisis right now of cultural authority and here's here's the temptation for us in the church will we live under the authority of the word of God and will we declare Jesus Christ's Lord of our lives or will we choose personal preference on the other hand and will we make a faith that looks more like me than looks like God will I make God in my own image or will I submit to what God has revealed as the truth of his word now let me share with you why modern life is so seductive i told you last week we're living in a nation that has more freedom than any other nation on planet earth do you all understand that freedom means choices Freedom means options. Aren't you grateful that nobody in this room or nobody in government is telling you where you can work, how much money you can make, what you can do with your life? Anybody thankful for that? Some places in the world you wake up like the brick kiln. Folks, by the way, we just redeemed our, our, our ne- next family. I got pictures. It's going to be awesome. I'll show you that in the week to come. But my point is, that, you know, when you're in that situation, your options are limited. You wake up, You make bricks. You make bricks all day. You go to bed, and you wake up the next day, and you do it again. I mean, you know, that's not freedom. We have choices today. Praise God for the choices that we have in this nation. We're here worshiping. You know, in China right now, they don't gather like this. They're not able to do crusades outside. They're not able to share their faith in public. In fact, many places in the world don't have any of those liberties. I don't know about you. I'm grateful for choices. I'm grateful for freedom. How about this? We also have Prosperity in this country. The poorest person in this room is wealthier than 99% of Pakistanis, just as an example. The poorest person in this room. Than most of the world. The poorest person in this room. Every one of you probably at least drove here in a car. It might not be the latest edition, but you got here in a car. You got a cell phone in your pocket, most of you, if not all of you. You're rich. Just gotta say that again. You're rich. And you know what happens when you have liberty and you have money? You got options. How many of you have asked this question this week? What are we going to do this weekend? Now, the question, what are we going to do this weekend, usually involves where are we going on to eat and how are we going to entertain ourselves? Now, I know most of you ask that question because we're Americans. That's what we do. We entertain ourselves and we eat. We're good at it, all right? I remember talking to a missionary who came up the mission field and went to Walmart. And they went to the soap aisle. And they were overwhelmed at how many soap choices that they had. I mean, they just stood there going. I mean, that's just like aisle 17A, okay? Soap choices, 100 yards long. You can get all different smells. You can check the prices. You can check the sizes. Little soap, big soap, everybody soap in between. All right. And they said it was paralyzing the number of choices we had. How many of you have ever been online channel surfing? I mean, you you can blow an hour just trying to figure out where you want to find and then after an hour, all the choices change and you got to do it all over again. (laughs) Now, how many of you know freedom and prosperity on the good-bad scale, are good? Anybody want to be poor and enslaved? Okay, good. I'm just making sure. But how many of you know, like we said, the very things that bless us are the very things that come back and cause us to bite the hand that feeds us? Because if we're not careful, our liberty and our prosperity become incredible distractions from God's people to obeying Him and pursuing what God's called us to do and what God's called us to be. You see, right now in America... We celebrate choice itself as a virtue. It doesn't matter what you choose, it's that you get to choose. Choice is a virtue in America. If you're pro-choice, if you have options, it doesn't matter what the option is, just so you get to choose, that's good. But how many of you know choice without evaluating the content of the choice is insanity and stupidity and it's morally dangerous? Because just the fact that you get to make a choice doesn't mean that the choice you make is worth making. In fact, many times the choices that we're celebrating are evil choices and they're choices that lead to destruction. So today, though, that what's interesting is we celebrate choice, we encourage people to choose, we encourage people to experiment. In fact, much of our public school education now is centered around encouraging young people to explore things like their sexuality, Just because you were born with male parts doesn't mean that you're a guy. You can explore other options. In fact, sexuality has become one of the areas of the new frontier that we're exploring and we're encouraging people to explore because here's the isn't this the way we think? It's important for you to be you and, and to be authentic and don't let anybody tell you how you're supposed to live. Don't let anybody define you. That is called a crisis of authority. In other words, we are rebels. We don't want anybody taking control over our lives. We control our own destiny. We can be literally whatever we want to be. Medical science will help us. That's the America that we're living in today. We are sovereign choosers. And listen, while while choosing, for instance, your career, the college of your choice, or even your toothpaste is not a bad thing, choosing your homemade morality or how you're going to live or what you believe about ultimate things is incredibly dangerous. And we better be careful whether we're supposed to be simply submitting, or whether we're supposed to be creating when it comes to those issues of ultimate importance. You know, I saw one of the social commentators this week refer to American Christianity as Build-A-Bear Christianity. How many of you guys have a -a Build-A-Bear, or been to Build-A-Bear, you took your kids to build I mean, that right there is a weekend event, right? Honey, if you're obedient, and you're a blessing, and you obey Daddy, we'll take you to Build-A-Bear. Oh, Build-A-Bear! I mean, it's like a big event, right? You go out, it's not just like... Here's the teddy bear aisle. There's one teddy bear. No, you get, you get to be like God. You get to choose everything, accessories. You can even record something and put it in there. You can even put the heart in the Build-A-Bear. You push the button. Your Build-A-Bear is breathing, living creation of your own doing. And isn't it amazing that in the church today, we have what's called Build-A-Bear Christianity. Let me highlight what I'm talking about. This was a a pair of tweets that recently made the rounds on social media. It was a young progressive woman who was sharing publicly online her doctrinal creed. And this is her creed. And I want you just to evaluate it with me and tell me if this is authentic biblical Christianity or if this is the Build a Bear variety. First point she made I am a Christian. And I believe that proselytizing is violence. In other words, proselytizing, sharing your love for Jesus with somebody else, is violence. Because you are imposing your preferences on them, and that is terrible. I am a Christian, and I believe that the LGBTQ people are divine, and they should lead us. I am a Christian, and I don't go to church. I am a Christian, and I don't believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Now, this caused quite a firestorm on social media because legitimate Christians had a little bit of concern about what she was saying, I am a Christian, and it was the and part that was really getting messy. How many of you know if if we're able to create Build-A-Bear Christianity, our faith is meaningless, and our mission is meaningless? And God is meaningless, and we're really no different than some, any other social club out there that gathers for any other reason. We, we literally become an Ichabod church where the glory of the Lord has departed, because we've created a God in our own image who doesn't look like anything like the God of the Bible, and yet that's where many people are. The question I want to ask you this morning, are you a truth seeker or are you a truth twister? What determines your pursuit and your knowledge of God and your obedience? Is it, it, do you read the Bible and do you let it shape you? Or do you shape what you think the Bible should say or how God needs to be up to speed because he's out of date? That's a good question. George Barna uh, just came out with a study called the American Worldview Inventory, and I'm encouraging all of you that haven't taken my Worldview class to come on in October on Wednesday nights and join me. I believe it will be a great equipping tool for you. But this is what he found in his Worldview inventory. Uh, he said nearly two-thirds of Americans believe that having, quote, "some kind of faith is more important than the specific faith which a person chooses." In other words, it doesn't matter really what you believe, just so that you believe in something. And what was amazing was 70% of the people surveyed identified themselves as believers, which meant that belief was coming out of Christian people. In other words, it doesn't matter what you believe. It's just that you sincerely believe in something. That's called preference. That's called build-a-bear Christianity. That's not the Christianity of the Bible. And let me just say this. We're experiencing in many denominations today a wholesale rejection of the authority of the Word of God, especially as it relates to sexual ethics. My daughter called me up the other day. She's out at Liberty University, and she's serving at a church. And, and bless her heart, you know, all she's ever known is Living Stones. So she was going to a church with a different label on it, and she called me up, and she said, Dad. Is this place okay for me to be at? I was grateful for her because she, she wanted to make sure she wasn't stumbling onto some weird place. Now, I will not mention the denomination because I'm not here to criticize denominations this morning, but let me just say this is a denomination that its founders, who were birthed out of holiness and revival, would be rolling over in their graves today to see this denomination's uh, loss and revision of scripture and loss of biblical truth in the area of sexual ethics. I stood down and at the Courthouse, state house in Indianapolis, testifying on behalf of marriage when marriage was under attack in America, in America, and particularly in Indiana. Anybody remember those days a few years back? How many of you think that if the Bible talks about biblical marriage between a man and a woman who make a covenant and make a covenant for life and it's exclusive, and that's the environment in which you have children, and out of that environment, children are raised in the most healthy environment possible, how many of you think that has an important message that we need to be sharing publicly and the church should not have? been silent. But what was happening was the church was incredibly silent. In fact, what happened was Marion and I in this church was one of the few churches that went public about any kind of protest or any kind of declaration of truth. The next thing we found, Marion and I found our pictures on the front page of the Indianapolis Star. We became the face of the movement. And we didn't even try. We didn't even sign up. We didn't even create an organization or nothing. We just spoke. And here's the sad part. You know who was in the picture next to us in the Indianapolis Star? A former Christian contemporary worship artist who is now with his live-in lover. In a homosexual relationship, his ex-wife was saying she blessed it. All the kids thought it was great because he was being true to himself. I remember standing there. This is the other thing that irked me. Higher education used to be about thinking and critical thought and looking at the pros and cons and, and wrestling with public policy issues. Well, guess what happened during the marriage debate? There wasn't any of that happening at our universities. Uh, I would have loved to have had an opportunity to go speak at IU and to extol the benefits of traditional Christian marriage. But you know what? The president of IU just came out early in the game and said, Indiana University, we stand for gay marriage. I thought, well, that's interesting, so much for higher education. I guess every Christian student at Indiana University just got slapped in the face by the administration, and now you're a bigot for simply believing God's view about marriage. So you know what? I called up my alma mater. I said, hey, how come my alma mater is not speaking out about marriage? Christian universities, Christian institutions of higher learning should be fighting this battle because so much is at stake, crickets, And then what got me was when I go to testify at the State House and the president of one of those Christian universities is standing next to me and this is what he's saying. to First of all, to my shock, he was there to argue for the other side. And what he said was, the church needs to adapt on this issue. I about jumped out of my shoes. Listen, the thing that should drive us is love for God God is a God of truth when God speaks it's the truth you can't say you love God but you don't like what he says you can't say you love God but you don't like what the Bible teaches that is build a Christianity and you will see the glory of God depart churches that act like social clubs and embrace their arms in Jesus name to every ugly demonic perverted thing in the name of love you're going to see those clo- churches shutting up like you can't imagine because, listen, there's no distinction between the spirit in that church and the spirit of the world. That's what happens when truth is compromised. That's what happens when when we fashion God to be in our image. And that's what's happening in the church in America. And I'm telling you, the end result will be we are going to be irrelevant and unfaithful. Now, let me just say this, what also angers me is when I see casualties out of God's people, I'll just be right here at Living Stones. Now, there are families in this church. If I, if I had you raise your hand and I, and I took a survey here and I asked how many of you have been personally impacted by the sexual revolution that's happening in, a, in America today, whether it's gay marriage, whether it's the gender confusion, whether it's the embrace of homosexuality, lesbianism, we even embrace bisexuality. And in case you haven't noticed, now we're pushing to embrace, uh, pedophilia in this country, where California just lowered the, the, the uh, uh, consent status, pushing it down lower and lower because, amazingly, while the state of California is burning to the ground, going broke, what they are prioritizing now is lowering sexual consent so they can molest their children. This is the wicked, corrupt, perverse people that are running this nation, across this nation, even as close as Chicago. Now, here's the problem. We're the only voice that says, that is evil. John the Baptist lost his head over saying, what you're doing is wicked. But you know what? He's got a great reward. God's looking to raise up some John the Baptist in this day and age. But here, I cannot lose this point. This is what grieves me. When the the culture becomes toxic... Do you think your children and grandchildren are somehow immune from the toxicity? No. When their kids at school are in you know, third grade, second grade, and they're talking about wanting to be the opposite gender because that's either taught in the curriculum, or that's the, that's the cartoons they're watching on TV, or that's the perversion on the news, where are they hearing this nonsense? They shouldn't be hearing this nonsense. It's, a, it's an embarrassment that they're hearing this nonsense. But what it does is it opens up a spirit of confusion in their lives. That's what angers me. When I sit in my office and talk to parents whose kids are involved in same-sex relationships or kids are involved, they think they're another gender, and and they're like, what do I do, pastor? Here's why it has to break your heart. That's what's happening in our culture because we've been silent and confused about things we should not be confused about. Deuteronomy 4.2, Moses said this, don't add or subtract from these commands I'm giving you. Just obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Don't add, don't subtract. Don't think God's outdated. Don't think you're smarter than God. In fact, I love this. Go back if you would. I'm getting ahead of myself, Rachel. Kierkegaard said this back in his day, which was full of all kinds of fake religion. He said, the Bible is very easy to understand, but we Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand, we are obliged to act accordingly. It's not that we're stupid. It's not that we can't figure it out. It's that we don't sometimes like what God has to say. But can I just tell you something? Christianity is not a popularity contest. Christianity is not an opinion, poll. You'll never get a survey in the local church about how you feel about certain sexual behavior or any other ethic. It's not up for vote. Either we come under the authority of God Almighty or we don't. Either we submit to his authority and we declare Jesus Christ is Lord. I mean, you know, that is the fundamental uh, uh, truth that should come out of a believer's mouth is that he's Lord. That means he's sovereign. He's Lord of my life. And if you don't acknowledge the lordship of Christ in your life, I just got to be frank with you. You're not a believer. You're a pretender. You're a -a build-a-bear Christian. But you're not a follower of Jesus. That's the issue. True Christianity is a revealed religion. How many of you know God has spoken? And I'm grateful that he has. How about you? In the Old Testament, in fact, in the book of Leviticus, not one that everybody's all excited about, but it's an important book because it highlights the holiness of God. Over 40 times, the Lord says, I am the Lord, your God. In other words, don't be like the Egyptians. Don't be like the Canaanites. I am the Lord, your God. All through the Old Testament, in fact, hundreds of times. How many of you have heard this phrase when you read the Old Testament? Thus saith the Lord. Now, I want you to feel the weight of this. If you were living in a foreign country with a king, and the the king sent one of his messengers, and they came to your village, and that messenger said, thus saith King Tucker. And what came after thus saith King Tucker, you better listen to, because it was an edict. It was a command from the king that was irrevocable. The king was not asking your opinion or my opinion. He was declaring the way things were. When the prophets would stand in front of Israel who were involved in wickedness and compromise and corruption, and the prophet would say, thus saith the Lord, you better stop what you're doing. Because what came out next mattered. What came out next was of the utmost authority and importance. Thus saith the Lord. How many of you know when the devil came at Jesus in the wilderness, what did he do over and over again? It is written. It is written. It is written. What was Jesus quoting? The Bible. But what was he quoting? Old or New Testament? Oh, we didn't have the New Testament. He was quoting the Old Covenant. There are people today Well, you know, I don't know about that Old Covenant stuff. God seems a little harsh back there. Some of the things that, you know, his morality seems a little stiff. I'm not sure sure if I can embrace Old Testament ethics. Oh, really? Jesus said it is written. Jesus is God. What Jesus are you worshiping if you can't acknowledge the book he said it is written from? getting awful quiet in here this morning. I mean, if Jesus referred to the Old Covenant and said it is written and had absolute authority over his life, it should have absolute authority over your life and my life. It is written. You guys are talking way too long. I want to make a parking lot mess if I don't move on. Here's what I want to ask you. Is the Bible your final authority? It's a good question. Is it the reference point? Is it the plumb line that you hang up to make sure your life is square and where it needs to be? Martin Lloyd-Jones, the famous British pastor and theologian, said this, and I want you to follow this quote with me. It's powerful. It could have easily been said today, which is why I'm saying it today. There can be no doubt whatsoever that all the troubles in the church today and most of the troubles in the world are due to a departure from the authority of the Bible. Can anybody say amen to that? Now listen, here's a series of questions that he asks. I want you to personalize this today. Apply the Word of God to you today. We all, therefore, have to face this ultimate final question. Do we accept the Bible as the Word of God, as the sole authority in all matters of faith and practice, or do we not? You need to ask yourself that question. Does the Bible speak and have absolute authority in your life over your faith and over how you live your life? Look at the second question. Is the whole of my thinking governed by Scripture, or do I come with my reason and pick and choose out of Scripture and sit in judgment upon it, putting myself and modern knowledge forward as the ultimate standard and authority? In other words, does the Bible read you or do you read the Bible? Does the Bible judge you? Or do you judge the Bible? Was the Bible written to speak to you? Or do you think that you can improve on the Bible and that God's really out of date? You know, every time I speak about biblical truth in public, there's always the group of mockers who say, you are in that 2,000-year-old book written by a bunch of men. Wah, 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 wah. Can I just tell you something? I just want to clarify that this morning. When I stand up to preach, how many of you think that's like a serious thing? Because what's happening right now is I'm supposed to be representing what the king has to say about reality. So can I just tell you something? If you ever hear me preaching my opinion, I've disqualified myself. Because you should not care about my opinion. I once had a guy, he said, Pastor, I need to meet with you. I just want to hear your opinion on tithing. Now, the reason he wanted to meet with me and waste my time is because he wasn't tithing, and he had no intention to to tithe. I just need to hear your, your revelation on tithing. I said, no, you don't. You need to read the Bible and obey it. No, 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 I, I'd, like to, I'd like to meet with you. I just, I just need to hear your revelation. No, you don't. See, listen, folks, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just smarter now. I'm older. I'm smarter. I know the difference between people who just want to Pull your leg, who want to waste your time, who want to have religious discussions. I don't want to have religious discussions. What does God say? Let's do it. What's God's opinion? Let's live it. Those kind of people change the world, not people that want to pontificate, philosophize. What's your perspective? I don't care about my perspective. I'm stupid. pastor just, I'm stupid in comparison to God Almighty. I'm stupid. Let me tell you what else I'm doing this morning. I'm a parrot. Some of you didn't know that, did you? I'm a parrot. I love Pastor Keith's story. Keith Tuesday, who was just up here with us. Pastor Keith went and was on trial in federal court for standing up for the unborn, and he was his own attorney. He represented himself in a federal court, all right? The defense came against them, and they had stacks of data. They had listened to all of his sermons. They said, Keith Toosey, on such-and-such Sunday, did you say this? He said, no, I did not. Keith Toosey, on such-and-such Sunday, did you say this? Nope. Keith Toosey, and they're all looking at each other like, ha, 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 we got him. In his own words, they built this long defense before the federal judge, and then they turned to Mr. Toosey, they said, what do you have to say for yourself? And he said, I didn't say those things. God said those things. I just repeated what he had to say. I just repeated what he had to say. This is the beauty of our call. We're not making this up as we go. How many of you know when you represent Jesus Christ, your job is to live the gospel and then speak the gospel. And when you speak the gospel, there's divine authority on the words. God backs up his word. So when you speak his word, God backs it up. This is why we got to get the corruption out, the compromise, the complacency, all those yucky C words, because when the people of God move together in the authority of God, we get the results of God and the power of God. Or we can play church. We can embrace everything the world's embracing We can write Ichabod over our door and we can become an irrelevant social club without any authority or power and we can waste our time and and have God choose to go somewhere else when his people are coming to meet. I don't know about you, I want the presence of God. I want the presence of God. And this is why, this is why I am not all that discouraged about what's happening in America today because I believe it's our finest hour because if the church will speak with the authority of God, The Bible says God backs his word. His word does not return void. So when you're looking at a nation that is dead and buried, the dry bones are rattling, and you begin to speak the word of the Lord, you're going to see resurrection power. Because it's the word of the Lord that sets people free. When Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, boom, dead things come to life. And dead people come out of their graves. That's the power of the gospel. If we lose the message, and we lose the authority, we lose everything. We cannot compromise. Last point I'm going to make, and I got to shut up because there was a parking lot disaster last week and a child care disaster. That means everybody was colliding. All right. This is, this is this is an aha moment for some of you guys. Today we celebrate freedom of choice. What is under attack? is freedom of conscience. But isn't the freedom to obey your conscience a choice that you make? Well, yes and no. Here's what we celebrate. We celebrate people doing whatever they want to do as long as they freely choose it. And we condemn anybody who attacks them, and we call that tolerance. But if you and I stand up for absolute truth and we say that's a sin and that's wrong, And if we refuse to go off to sensitivity training or whatever else nonsense is happening at your place of work, where they're going to try to brainwash you to violate your conscience. Here's the deal. Freedom of conscience means my conscience is under duty-bound obligation to obey God. And people that are Build-A-Bear people cannot stand that, because it looks like you don't you're not going to bend you're not going to listen you're not going to change you're not going to be compassionate you're not going to be loving oh no i'm all those things but my conscience is duty bound which is why listen to me on the sexual revolution that we're getting hit with right now the first thing that's going to go is your religious freedom that's why I've been screaming this at the Statehouse before Christian politicians for a decade now, that if you don't draw the line on perversion, if you, make, if you make civil rights into moral wrongs, you will lose our liberties. And the people sitting out here that are trying to work businesses, run their jobs, run their companies, trying to live, Christian students that are trying to live out their faith at school, you will be the object of attack. And they will have zero mercy on you because you violate their false God of freedom to choose whatever perverted thing it is. I'm just telling you, in for the right of our life. But you're at a church that is not going to compromise when it comes to truth. So here's the question today. Are we going to submit ourselves to the authority of God's word in all things? Or are we going to make up our own religion, our own brand of religion? I want to encourage you, let's take a stand. In fact, right now, if you're with me, stand to your feet. Let's stand for righteousness. Let's stand for truth. Let's stand for the Lord. Father God, your word is clear that in the last days, there will be all kinds of imposters. In fact, Paul said to Timothy, imposters will flourish. They will deceive others. They themselves will be deceived. But here's what you said. You must remain faithful to what you've been taught. Lord, that's my prayer for Living Stones, for myself, for my brothers and sisters. Lord, we want to be lovers. We want to be full of joy. We want to be full of your compassion for people. We know we live in a broken world and a confused world. But Lord, we want mercy to go together with truth and to kiss together. That's my prayer for you, Living Stones, that you would burn with a desire for truth, to know God and to know his heart, but that you would also marry that with a spirit of mercy and compassion for broken people that we would be willing to embrace what's broken and yet love them to life by speaking the truth. Lord, may that be said of this place. And God, we have a holy jealousy that your prophetic heart would be released from this house. So Lord, do it for your glory. Help us to be a part of the revival and reformation that you want to bring to the United States of America. Lord, I pray your blessing on us now as we leave. May we leave in the joy of the Lord and may we leave more committed to your truth than ever before. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. 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 Hey, if you're new here, we'd love to meet you. All right, come on down. Don't forget starting point today. If you need prayer for anything, come on down. All right, we'd love to pray with you.